Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are with episode 115, American Mary from 2012. And this one was requested. This was requested. Yeah, so this is the last episode before we jump into March Madness. So that means our final girl in this movie will make an appearance in March Madness next week. Which I'm excited for because (laughs) I think this character is super interesting. It's a very unique kind of film that's exploring a very unique subculture, which I think is really exciting. And I loved that it's a familiar face. Who is she? I'm going to tell you. Okay, because the whole time I watched this movie, I was like, she looks so familiar. I I couldn't put my finger on it. Well, starting out with our ladies, our main final girl, Mary Mason, is played by Catherine Isabel, who is a Canadian actress known for the Ginger (gasps) Snaps franchise. Oh my god, I wish I just did what I always do, which is Google it as I'm watching. I'm almost glad you didn't because this sense of shock is so exciting. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. She is Ginger Fitzgerald. Oh my gosh, what a treat. Yes, I loved seeing her again. So obviously she's known for that franchise. She is in Freddy vs. Jason. She is in 30 Days of Night, Dark Days, The Girl in the Photographs, and most recently, It's a Wonderful Knife, which was a holiday horror slasher situation. She also has TV credits in Endgame, Hannibal, and The Order, alongside with many other TV and movie credits, mostly Canadian, but she's all over the place. She also won a Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Actress in 2014 for her role in this film, which was one of the five awards she received for her portrayal of Mary. Wow. Then we have Beatrice Johnson, who is played by Tristan Risk. She is a Canadian actress known for ABC's Death 2, Happily Ever Evil, (laughs) Save Yourself, and Mania. And then we have Ruby Real Girl, who is played by Paula Lindbergh. She's a Swedish actress known primarily for TV roles in Supernatural and Fringe. Going into some pre-plot trivia, this was written and directed by Jen and Sylvia Soska, known as the Soska Sisters or the Twisted Twins, who are Canadian film directors, producers, and writers known for ABCs of Death 2, See No Evil 2, Rabid, and they talk a lot about their directorial debut, which is primarily what they're known for, but the title of it is a little, eh? It is called Dead Hooker in a Trunk. Oh my. And that was their film school project that ended up getting picked up by some, I think, TV movie network. But very interesting. Yeah. Everyone says that's primarily what they're known for, so I wanted to mention it, but I know nothing about it. (laughs) They've also written for Marvel Comics. They and their parents make cameos in this film. (laughs) Well, it's a family affair. It is a family affair. They obviously are the twins that we see in this movie. Okay. And then I think their father is one of the professors, like not one of the bad ones, just like a different professor we see in passing, and their mother is a cop. They said they wrote the character of Mary with Catherine Isabel specifically in mind, because as kids, they were teased excessively by their peers who called them the Fitzgerald sisters from Ginger Snaps. And once they saw the movie, the sisters' characters made them feel strong, and they became lifelong fans of Isabel's. How cool is it for them to have this dream, write the movie, get the actress they want, and then have it be such a great movie? And you have to think Ginger Snaps is probably so much bigger in Canada than it was here. Because here, like you had never heard of it. I don't think a lot of people think it's as much of a cult classic as it is in America. But in Canada, it must have been huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love Ginger Snaps. It was like literally the third movie we covered because I'm like, we have to do it. (laughs) But I'm a a huge fan of it, obviously. But I think over here, it didn't, you know, get the press. But over there, it must have been huge. So the Fitzgerald sisters jab must have been a little bit more well-known. So the film uses no visual effects, everything is done practically, and many members of the cast were actual members of the body modification community. They say the movie is said to be inspired by Clive Barker's Hellraiser, which they saw for the first time at the ripe age of 12, and that Billy Barker's character, his name was a nod to him. Okay! I didn't catch Billy's last name. Me either. It's written that way. I think they may say it once, but I just Uh saw this and was like, oh, okay, that's really cute. Oh, sweet. Wow, I love how intentional they are with like their casting and their naming and the storyline. That's so awesome. And apparently they even talked to Clive Barker while they were producing it, and he was like so supportive and such a big fan for them, like just showing body modification as like something that's not i don't know like taboo Mm -hmm. which is really interesting so i was into it you ready to get started i am ready so we begin the film hearing schubert's ave maria an instrumental playing while we see skin being sliced into and stitched up it looks like someone is practicing incisions on a dead skinned turkey and oop that is exactly what's happening 
It's Mary, and she is practicing her incisions because we soon learn that she is in school to become a surgeon. We learn that in the next scene, we enter into a lecture hall. Mary is in stadium-style seating in like a small LGIA situation, and her phone goes off in class. So her professor decides to call on her to answer some difficult-sounding question about hemoglobin, (laughs) and she nails it. Like, she knows her shit, even if she's caught off guard. But then she's still chastised in front of the class for having her phone. Her professor says, quote, it's very fucking rude. But she, you know, seems to take this criticism very seriously. She doesn't want to give the impression that she's not paying attention. She really values her class time and values the opinion of the professor. Also, I wrote, if only he knew what shit would be like in 10 years, because like, that's just... That's like the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like phones are a thing in class for sure. The lecture ends, and after class, Mary approaches the professor again. And this is Professor Grant. And she apologizes again for what happened. She says it won't happen again. And he tells her that he has too many useless twats in his class to lose one of his promising students' attention. Okay, so again, with the language, he's very direct, borderline inappropriate, I would say, for the way an educator talks to his student. And he tells her that good surgeons don't make any mistakes. So right away, we are establishing this culture of no-nonsense perfection when it comes to surgery, which I think would make sense. But again, this professor, weird vibes, I think, at the start, based on how we're seeing him interacting with Mary. Completely. Later, she's on the phone with her cell phone company, arguing about them cutting off her service, and Dr. Grant sees this as he's getting into his car to leave. And earlier, we saw that she ignored a call from student loan services. So after finding out that she owes 360 something dollars in two weeks or her service is being cut off, it's obvious that she is having some financial struggles. Although she walks into her cool ass apartment. I loved her <laughs> little like wraparound island type situation. She's on the phone with her Nana and Nana is offering her money, but she says, you know, she's okay that the loan office just made a mistake. But meanwhile, she is scrolling Craigslist ads for jobs. And she comes across a job that is $1,000 for sensual massages with no sex. So she responds to the ad for an interview. So she arrives to this location. It looks like a club. Bourbon a go-go. Bourbon a go-go. And this is where she asks for Billy, which we now know is named fully Billy Barker. Mm-hmm. She meets with Billy. I said he kind of looks like Brendan Urie, like Brendan Urie's cousin. It's like Brendan Urie and Ian Summerhalder okay. kind of had like a little bit of a baby. Yes. So that's exactly what Billy looks like. He commences the interview. He notes that her schooling is rather extensive. And then he asks for the most important part of the interview, which is where he sits in a chair and lets Mary massage him for a little bit. She also takes off her coat to show him the black corset and lingerie she's wearing underneath. And she has to practice a walk for him. So even though this is for sensual massages, we know that there's a strong visual element that comes with this job in addition. He's also very gross. He's like fondling other employees and smacking asses on the way back. So we don't like Billy. Yeah, he's crude. But they're interrupted by a bouncer named Lance, who informs Billy that they have a clusterfuck of a situation going on and that Black isn't coming back, which is a fun little nod that happens later. Mary waits as Billy leaves to find out what's going on, but he quickly comes back and asks how close to being a surgeon she is (laughs) and asks if she wants to make a quick 5K. So she is interested. He takes her into the basement of the club where we meet a person named Rat lying on a table and whimpering with a missing eye. It looks like he has undergone a serious injury to his eye. And we see as Mary is handed like a clump of gauze and maybe antiseptic. And then she gets to work trying to patch up this guy's eye or at least make sure he doesn't get an infection based on his injury. But we don't actually see that happen. We just see her handed very minimal materials, know that she's going to do this job for the money. But we do see after the fact when she returns home to her apartment. And I think this is an interesting scene because as she returns home, opens the door, walks into the bathroom, turns on the shower, we can still hear rats whimpering as if to say, this is still very much looping through Mary's head. This was a really troubling experience for her. Even though we are under the impression that she did successfully save him. She showers and then stays awake all night, sitting up on her sofa, holding a baseball bat. Why do you think she was doing that? Well, I think we see in the next scene that her personal information is on her resume. So I don't know if her saving the guy was somebody that they were trying to protect 
or if other people wanted him dead and he was still alive, like maybe whoever went after Rat wouldn't like that somebody helped him. I don't know, but she just seems a little paranoid generally. And that paranoia continues when her phone rings, and when she answers it, a woman's voice asks, is this Dr. Mason? And she hangs up fearfully. They call back, and Mary's like, hey, you have the wrong number. And the person says, you don't even know who's calling. My name's Beatrice. And she has like a very sing-songy voice. Like, she doesn't sound overtly threatening. But again, because Mary doesn't know who she is, it comes across very threatening. She sounds very old Hollywood. Yeah, very like dolly Yes. So she asserts, listen, I don't know a Beatrice and I don't know who Dr. Mary is, but Beatrice says, I said Dr. Mason. I liked that little bit of like a jab where we can show that Beatrice is very intelligent, even though as we meet her, it might not come off that she leads with that. Mary hangs up again, but gets another call back. And this time it's her restaurant job telling her that they're closing down so there's no more shifts. So this sense of desperation for money is getting harder and harder. Later that day, somebody buzzes up to Mary's apartment with a package, but when Mary lets them in, we see it's not a delivery, but Beatrice from the phone. I think we recognize her voice before Mary does through the intercom, but she says that she needs Mary's help and she will give Mary $200 just to hear what she has to say. So Beatrice is loaded, she's got money to spend, and Mary is obviously very interested in that money. So we learn that Beatrice has had 14 surgeries to look like Betty Boop, which explains her unique appearance. And she has a friend who is really similar to her in regards to seeking out these body modifications to alter her appearance. Yeah, Beatrice says that she's lucky that she can afford to make herself look on the outside the way she feels on the inside. And in her travels, she met another girl like her, but she hasn't been able to find someone to finish her. And they would like to hire Mary for $10,000 in cash. And she says she'll throw in an extra 2K just for Mary to show up. So 12,000 total, and Mary agrees. Later, Mary gets a weird-ass call from Dr. Grant asking why she missed class that day. Which is so, like, nobody has time for this. No. (laughs) And Dr. Grant is guilting her for fucking up and says if she misses another lecture, she can find another class to not go to. So, again, this investment from Dr. Grant, I think under the right circumstance, would be motivating, but we're certainly perceiving it to be a little predatory. And, yeah, his aggression is really, again, sowing that tension. Mary arrives at a veterinary clinic to meet Beatrice because her niece Tessa is a secretary there so they can use the operating room after hours. Beatrice seems to be fronting the money for her friend's surgery to Tessa's annoyance. She's like, Tessa, honey, don't be a cunt. Which There's so much back and forth here that's very funny. Tessa's a nothing character, but she adds some nice comedic relief. So Mary walks into the operating room to meet Ruby Real Girl, who thanks her for coming. Mary's like, okay, so like, why are we here? And Ruby goes on to say, I never found it fair that God gets to choose what we look like on the outside. Do you? It'll probably surprise you, but I never had any of these surgeries to become a sexual object. And after clarifying she doesn't work with Beatrice, meaning she's not a sex worker, she's a fashion designer, she says, no one looks at dolls in a sexual manner. And I wrote, well... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's a subcommunity for that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she's like, well, do you know why? And Mary's like, I guess because they don't have all of their parts. And Ruby says, exactly. You understand perfectly. A doll can be naked and never feel shy or sexualized or degraded. And that's what I want. Just take these off, gesturing toward her breasts and seal this up as much as possible, gesturing toward her pelvic area. So she kind of wants to be a Barbie doll in every sense of the word. Yeah, and she wants her breasts to stay, but not the nipples. And I think that Ruby's dialogue is really interesting, especially in this era of Barbie, in this year of Barbie, 2023 to 2024. You know, you see things a lot on TikTok about how like millennials focusing on cottage core and like watching videos of people opening old Polly Pocket sets and thinking about Barbie and their girlhood, whereas like 12 and 13 year olds are being forced to buy skincare and or not forced to, but being marketed to, to pay attention to their skincare and buy these makeup products. It's conversations I feel like that exist about young girls almost being marketed to to grow up really quickly. Whereas women who are grown up look back on their childhood and feel like maybe they were forced to grow out of it too soon or they long for those nostalgic moments. And so I thought Ruby's dialogue about her body and wanting her body to be a certain way, almost to seemingly like restore a sense of innocence to Mm -hmm. it, perhaps. I think in the conversations that are currently happening about that, it was really interesting to see, especially because this is from 2012. Exactly. And I think it's important to know, we haven't really discussed Ruby's appearance or Beatrice's appearance. 
I think that there's a image you get in your head when you think that someone's gotten like too much work done, right? Like whether it be Botox filler, and I know nothing about this world, so I'm not going to like speak out of what they may or may not have done. But it is clear that they are almost trying to achieve an appearance that doesn't appear realistic, quote unquote. There's a lot of augmentation to their faces. There's a lot of augmentation to their waists. These body modifications are not just plastic surgery in fillers. It is very much trying to achieve a very specific look. And it seems as though their aspirations aren't to look specifically aligned with an ideal version of beauty. They have something else in mind that they want to feel and appear as. Because, I mean, you'll see, like, Beatrice's face is round. Like, mm-hmm. completely round to a degree where it's not natural. It's doll-like. It's doll-like. Betty Boop. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Even, like, her lips have been altered to almost always have that, like, kind of pursed Cupid's bow? Yeah, like that look, it's like she's been tattooed that way. Ruby's waist is taken in to such a degree where, you know what I mean? So it's to say like when you look at these folks, it goes beyond a level of plastic surgery because I think that while plastic surgery can be a form of body modification, this is introducing us to a subculture of people who are in the body modification community that are not trying necessarily to look conventionally attractive. They are trying to achieve a very specific look regardless of other people's opinions of it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know if you can even compare body modification and like plastic surgery again, because I'm not a part of that world either. And I don't want to speak about something I don't know. But I feel like in the conversations I've had as somebody approaching 30, people get like Botox and fillers, but you don't want it to be obvious. Right. But like these women are getting these procedures because they want to show off these procedures and they want these modifications to be clear. Yeah, there is even like online blogging about the procedures and the results of these procedures and what doctors they've gone to. So it's not an element of chasing youth or just chasing Mm -hmm. a certain look. It's like, look what I did. It's almost like a tattoo. Yeah. Like tattoos, like you make a very active choice to alter the way your outside looks. No one ever pretends with a tattoo that they didn't get a tattoo. Exactly. Yes. It's very much like that where it goes beyond just a cosmetic appearance type thing and more into like a shift of identity as well. Yes. So Marie sedates Ruby on the operating table and goes to work. And I also really like the way that this scene is filmed. Does Ave Maria come back in this scene as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is our second hint of that score. We see Mary very clinically drawing out incision points around Ruby's nipples. She takes a scalpel. And I love that everything was practical because this looks so fucking real. Like this looks Mm -hmm. like something that you would see in like a clinical video of sorts. Cuts into her nipple, cuts around it, sutures her up. And then we see Mary working from behind between Ruby's legs, removing tissue. And we see blood and matter dripping onto the floor. And we see her wrapping her up with care and dignity. And it's just shot very respectfully. I love watching Mary take such care in this scene. Usually surgery scenes freak me out. But this, like you just said, she takes such good care of Ruby. And you can tell that she takes pride in her craft as somebody who is performing this procedure. But after returning home from the surgery, Mary gets sick and she throws up in the toilet. So also another scene that I was curious about why maybe is she having an internal conflict that she's performing these underground surgeries? Is she really anxious that she is still so new to surgery and she's performing that on people? Is she nervous about what if she does make a mistake and hurts these people? I don't know. Like, did you have any thoughts on that? Why she threw up? I think... Because they're trying to make it clear that in her schooling, they're probably not even at the point where they're performing surgery yet. And I think that's proven by this next scene where we get this voice over. She's saying, I want you to know that the surgery was a complete success. Scarring should be minimal. I'm going to provide you some scar reduction cream. You might be feeling a stretching or pulling at the incision area. And it sounds like she's like advising Ruby. But then we see the scene cut and she's practicing a post-op speech to inform a patient's loved one of how their procedure went. I'm going strictly off my knowledge of Grey's Anatomy. That seems like very like first year intern type stuff. Like you're not cutting people up. Even if you are a doctor, like a lot of people don't have the kind of practice with plastic surgery that she's doing on Ruby in the level of schooling that she's at. So I think she is obviously a little bit of an overachiever to the fact that she's buying turkeys and Mm. slicing them up and doing sutures. Like she seems to be this person who is very driven to succeed and she's trying to get ahead of the curve. But that was the first time likely that she's ever done a surgery on a person. 
But she does this speech to the pleasure of another doctor, Dr. Walsh, who seems to be the clinical advisor to these interns or these people in their first year of residency. And then he tests Mary by telling her to go repeatedly back and forth between his family, telling them that their father had a heart attack and that he died. And we see a very unaffected look on Mary's face. And this was, I was a little confused about, like, was he trying to push her to see if she would, like, crack? Um, I think so. Yeah. She was also, I think, the only woman in the group of interns. Oh, that's a good point. Either way, Mary remains composed and professional, which I think is just showing her drive here. But Dr. Walsh compliments her and says she'll be a good slasher and that the adrenaline from slicing into people all day is better than espresso. Wow. Okay. Okay. On her break, Mary heads outside and runs into Beatrice. Beatrice has found Mary at her internship and gifted her a thank you box from Ruby. Ruby is apparently very happy with her procedure. She's healing nicely. And Beatrice tells her that they should also get coffee sometime and hang out, which I think is so cute. (laughs) Beatrice is so Like the interaction between these two is so funny to me. Because she's like, well, you said not to call. So I just called your school and asked around and found out what hospital you'd be at and when your shift was so that I could wait for you because you said not to call. Like, it's just so funny. Beatrice is like golden retriever energy and Mary is very much black cat energy. Absolutely. Mary cannot get out of this conversation quick (laughs) enough. She's like, yeah, girls night. Totally. And she's like, get me, get me the fuck out of here. So she goes back in because she was just on a break from her shift, I guess. And Dr. Walsh invites her to a get together with other surgeons that evening at Dr. Grant's home. And Mary seems to perceive this as an opportunity to network with other surgeons. So she very excitedly accepts. And (laughs) Dr. Walsh is like, okay, now that that's taken care of, we have rounds to do. This time it's cunts and runs. (laughs) I was like, wow. (laughs) Okay, another day at the office. That night, Mary puts on this gorgeous green dress. I think this is the gift that Ruby gave to her. Yes. This, like gorgeous, almost like teal green floor length gown with this plunging dip. It's really stunning and she looks beautiful and she arrives to this surgeon party and it is literally full of men. She is fully the only woman in attendance. Well, the only other women that are in attendance are sex workers because we see when she enters that there's another doctor, Dr. Black. Who takes her, I know. Oh. Yeah. We we don't find out his name right away, mm-hmm. but who takes her coat and we see in the background men with money in their hand kind of leading another woman in a corset by her arm into a back Oh my room. God, I totally missed that. And then there's another scene when she's walking by the bar where people are doing like body shots off of- Oh, I do remember worker. that now. So the mm-hmm. only other women in our attendants are not other surgeons, but sex workers. Mm-hmm. They're working. Yes. And she's supposed to be there- I guess also to work, to network Mm -hmm. for her profession. So the host gives her a drink, which she accepts. And she asks if the host is also a surgeon, to which he responds, quote, I'm a fucking motherfucker. (laughs) And I just wrote big 2024 energy. Yes. (laughs) But also, we are feeling unsteady. We are feeling uneasy. Why are we getting the sense that this man isn't being honest with her about who he is? Why aren't we at a local bar for the surgeons to hang out? Why are we? I don't know. It just feels a little bit, again, inappropriate. This isn't the first time it feels like this dynamic between like student and instructor is being sort of like warped or stretched, but she's doing her best to enjoy the party. And I can imagine for her, like somebody who is new to this and feels like she's invited because she's doing so well, this is probably a really exciting thing for her. Dr. Walsh intercepts and tries to get this other man. He's like, oh, don't mind Dr. Black. And that's why I was like, oh, interesting. Because in the beginning, Lance tells Billy that Black is not coming back. So I'm guessing that this guy, Dr. Black, was Billy and Lance's contact for like stitching up wounded criminals and shit like that. Because I thought it was just a throwaway character because I'm like, fuck this guy. The only thing that this guy does is like give her a drink and encourage her to drink. Uh But then like we get that name It's like the first hint that these surgeons are like dirty cops, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Like they also have these side businesses or it unveils this world, I guess, of other possibilities for people who are medical professionals that can do other things on the side, I guess. But Dr. Walsh compliments her dress and implores her to explore the penthouse when Dr. Grant approaches her and says, I hope you finished all your homework before you came in tonight. Like he's fucking gross. It's so gross and uncomfortable. And as this conversation goes on, we can see that Mary seems to become a bit unbalanced. She moves to steady herself against the bar as she continues the conversation. But soon we can see through her perspective that her vision has begun to blur. Because we have seen her have maybe two drinks. 
We are getting the sense that she has been drugged. Grant picks her up and takes her to a bedroom after she tells him she doesn't feel well. And then he thrusts her onto the bed. Yeah. Trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Then he gets on top of her with like a little handheld video camera and takes some footage looking down on her with his hand on her throat. Then he puts the camera down and proceeds to rape her. And it goes on for a little bit. It's uncomfortable to watch. It felt very exploitative. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of close. And I, it's interesting because I read an article that said that like this was supposed to be filmed like the surgery scenes where it's like there's a lot of close up on the faces of and I'm like, ah, this feels like a little not like that. Like this feels this was this graphic. Thing, yeah. Like the surgery scenes that Mary does. Yeah. I feel like this scene was nothing like the energy Mary brings. Into I know. The that's, I was like, I don't know if I was missing something or I don't know if that author was just a little I feel different like, in their assessment. But I was like, I don't know. Like, like, this feels weird. Yeah. Mary brings such like craft and precision. This was just like brute strength and like manipulation. Mm-hmm. Maybe the surgery scenes on the men. Maybe. Either mm-hmm. way. Either way, it's prolonged and it's uncomfortable. It might be the most graphic we've covered. There are certainly other movies that take it further in Mm -hmm. like what we see, but it's very uncomfortable. The next morning, she wakes up crying, disoriented with Grant sleeping next to her. I can't, of all the things that you could see coming with Grant's character, I was like, I cannot believe he slept in that bed next to her. Yeah. Add it to the, the list of things that are gross about him. She goes home, sees all of her surgery textbooks on the coffee table and angrily shoves them off. So obviously she's feeling like this aspiration is no longer achievable for her. But then she arrives at the club and asks Billy if he wants to make 5K. So she dons on makeup in the mirror and hears a knock on the door and then a man is heard crying beyond it. And when she opens the door, it's revealed that she is in her apartment She is wearing a leather dress and black gloves, and she throws Billy some money and tells Billy and Lance that she won't be done until tomorrow night. And Billy's like, okay, just like give me a call when you need help and you need us to take him away. And we're like, okay, what the fuck is going on? So she walks further into her apartment and turns on some music. And then we see that there are plastic drapes surrounding a makeshift operating table on her coffee table and a bunch of surgical equipment. This is feeling very Dexter for people who've watched Dexter. Not Dexter's Laboratory. Yes. The other one. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is always good to be clear. Yes. <laughs> yes. But also, like, I could see Dexter doing some shit like this. Oh, yeah. In Dexter's <laughs> Laboratory. <laughs> Diddy! <laughs> we see that Grant is strapped to the table, beaten and bruised, with a device on his face that is holding his mouth open. Some orthodontics nightmare type of shit. Mm. And Mary says, I quit med school today. That shouldn't come as a surprise to you. I'm guessing you thought I went into prostitution and that's why you invited me to the party last night. I didn't. And she presses two syringes into both sides of his jaws and asks him to hold still very clinically, which I laughed at. Everything is a what? A dick. A dick. So she goes on to say, I'm changing specialties, Dr. Grant. Have you heard of body modification? Neither had I. You know how you're always, always telling me that surgeons can't make any mistakes? So, in the spirit of practice, I've come up with a little list of the most popular procedures that we're going to try on you tonight. So, we have tongue splitting, implants, teeth filing, genital modification, and voluntary amputation. So I think we should get started. We have at least 14 hours of surgery ahead of us, and I'd like to get it all done in one session. Isn't this fun? I'm still learning from you queen of being an anti-hero like the the energy here is astounding and and i also think it's so interesting how like after she was raped which is you know she had complete lack of autonomy over her body because she was drugged and taken advantage of now she's going into body modification and obviously in this scene she's illegally performing these surgeries on her aggressor but then you know she continues to work on this profession and gain a following and i think it's really cool that she goes into something that is really about autonomy and like choice as far as how you portray yourselves and represent yourself which i think is neat anyway jump to the future Speaking of Mary's bustling practice, we see that she's having a follow-up appointment with somebody who had their tongue split, and that's healing very nicely. So how much time do you think has passed? Maybe a couple weeks, a month or two? Yeah, maybe. And that patient leaves. She sees another patient who asks Mary about piercings, which seems to very much offend Mary. She is not into piercings. She does things that are much beyond piercings. And she has her bodyguard, Lance, who is now working for her almost exclusively, it seems, put a bag over this guy's head and escort him out. 
So Mary waits outside and is approached by a detective who is investigating the appearance of Dr. Alan Grant. Mary feigns surprise of the news and says, I haven't seen him since med school, but the detective reveals that they've been finding things that indicate a deviant sexual nature on Dr. Grant's part, and that another doctor, Dr. Walsh, gave the detective a list of girls who may have had things against him, and Mary was on that list. Detective's like, why would you be on that list? And Mary plays it off that, you know, he was always tough on me as an instructor, but otherwise I can't think of anything. And the detective just leaves his information and dismisses himself, where Mary seems to be obviously concerned that the trail is being led a little bit. But then Lance arrives with one of my favorite lines of the movie, titties and shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Lance is such a good character. He is a good character. Back at the nightclub, we see Billy being Billy. He's watching a girl perform on stage. It's actually... Beatrice. It's Beatrice. Yeah. He's watching Beatrice perform. But then we can see that he imagines Mary in her place, dancing provocatively for Billy. And so this is very much saying, oh, Billy is interested in Mary. He's got himself a crush. And in this dance tease, we see Mary pouring a glass of blood on herself. So it seems like, I don't know, Billy really likes that Mary is into this torture stuff. To a degree. To a degree. To a degree. As far as Grant goes, to be clear. Then Mary arrives, the real Mary, and she's meeting Beatrice for coffee. I love that this coffee date is actually happening. She waits for Beatrice and talks to Billy about the detective. She lets him know that somebody had come to ask her questions about Grant. And Billy offers to take care of it for her, meaning talk to, quote unquote, Dr. Walsh for giving up Mary's name in the first place. She does not seem interested in him doing anything about the situation. She meets up with Beatrice and leaves. So Mary and Beatrice walk and talk with coffee, and Beatrice says that she has a surprise for Mary. And Mary's kind of getting into this conversation of calling herself a monster. And I liked this line from Beatrice, who calls her an artist and says that it isn't until people die that people realize what creative geniuses other people are. Going on to say that she's doing all of this revolutionary work. She's helping people feel more like themselves. And they enter a storefront of Ruby's where Mary notes that there are pictures of a man around. And Beatrice says, yeah, Ruby has a husband. And I think this is supposed to be a humanizing toward Ruby, because I think at this point, there is certainly a level of judgment between Mary toward Beatrice and Ruby of like, why the fuck would you want to be doing all of this? And she's almost surprised that these women are being loved for being fully themselves, which is interesting. But they find a note that indicates that owners of a large body modification community publication want to get in touch with Mary while they're coming through town. And I guess Ruby, from posting pictures of herself on the websites or these forums of sorts, have gained Mary quite a reputation in the body modification community to the point where now she's getting these very high profile clients. And these high profile clients that are coming to meet with her are two twins. The scene with these twins is so funny. They have so many synchronized movements. They, of course, mention her work is very public online and that she is known as Bloody Mary. And this is alluding to something that we as the audience don't know about yet. We know Mary has been doing body modification stuff, but these twins seem to be suggesting that there's something much more dark going on behind the scenes because they swear that they will keep Mary's identity a secret, right? Because they are there to talk with her about a procedure they want because they're impressed with what she's been able to do. They request that they have horns implanted on their foreheads and that they have their left arms exchanged to strengthen their connection, (laughs) which I love that twin shit. I also wrote, do these twins want to fuck? Because, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, they are touching each other. They are caressing each other. And, like, I'm not to say that, like, you can't be affectionate with your siblings or that you can't do all of these things. But there's a lot of, like, face holding and tickling of the arm and stuff like that. And they're, like, leaning into each other in a way. And I'm just like, what's going on? Like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> But Mary quickly says that shouldn't be a problem, even though I think she knows she's a little in over her head when it comes to these things. She asks Billy, hey, I need another surgeon. Do you know a guy? And he's so hard trying to square up with her, like trying to like lean into her and flirt with her. She's not fucking having it. But she ends up suiting up and tells the twins that when they wake up, they'll be connected to themselves and to each other. There's another German surgeon who is helping her and he makes a joke referring to himself as Dr. Mengel, which is like... Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Guy who did a lot of bad experiments Mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh Uh-huh. So they link pinkies as they're put under and the surgery commences. I think it's interesting to note that in this surgery scene, alternative rock plays as opposed to that classical Mm -hmm. song, which I don't know if I have complete thoughts on, but it is a little bit of a different feeling. Maybe, Maybe this is getting away from just a feeling of skill and getting into a place of 
maybe just power. Mm -hmm. Mary's getting to a point she knows she's good at what she does, but now she's feeling empowered from it. Maybe she's really starting to like understand the work that she's doing as opposed to just doing the work. Yeah, I have something on that a little later just about how I think Ave Maria is present in moments of ascension with Mary and her skill level. Okay. So I think maybe this is just proving that she has confidence Mm -hmm. that she can do exactly what you said, that it's power instead of like a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Later, Mary arrives at some basement lair. Where is this? Some like warehouse at the edge of town type Mm -hmm. situation. And we find out that she's keeping Grant prisoner. This is a tough scene. His arm was cut off. His leg was cut off. <laughs> his <laughs> other arm was cut off. His other arm was cut off. <laughs> his lips um, are cut It's It's like that TikTok sound, but literally. Literally, like, yeah. Like, that is a list of just the beginning of what has been modified on Grant. All four of his limbs have been amputated. His mouth is sewn shut, I'm assuming, because he cannot open his mouth. He has some piercings. Did you notice he has, like, his eyebrow pierced? <laughs> or a nose? He has, like, some, like, tiny, tiny facial piercing, which made me laugh. Like, just all of these big modifications and then just, like, a nose stud. I was like, what? I appreciate the forehead tattoo, too. Oh, what does it say? Liar. Mm-hmm. And he's hanging by two big hooks by the skin on his back. And they do not shy away from showing you different angles of that. He whimpers as Mary explains that she's taking pictures of him for her website. So this is what I think the twins were alluding to. Mary is making these images of Grant very public on these underground forums, which is part of the reason the twins have learned about her, but also some way that she's been starting to gain seeming like respect. I think that they noted that she's been word of mouth and they can help make her more marketable. Mm, Okay, that makes sense. By like talking over her work Mm -hmm. because there's also like the existence of a scrapbook of pictures of grant that seems to be private up until now but maybe this is her choice to make what she's done to grant more public Mm, maybe she that confidence she's like okay well i feel great after that conversation with the twins maybe i'll move forward and i think it's the idea that the twins have power to keep her anonymous where at this point it's been flirting with we found out who you are but we can help you just stay bloody mary online which is what i think she wants because obviously some of these things are below bar when it comes to being legal, I guess. Oh, yeah. This is very illegal. Yeah. <laughs> and body modification is not illegal, but the way in which she's doing it is illegal. Oh, yeah. And she's very much torturing Grant. He is a rapist. And of course, as we get into rape revenge themes here. Also anti-hero themes, right? Very much, which is, I think, what helps make Mary such a complex, interesting character. Like this borderline between good, evil, justice, and justice, finding that own way for herself. And to be clear, I don't think anyone outside of Billy knows about Grant or that Grant yes. still being alive. So I just didn't want to equate body modification with holding somebody captive right, and, right, and right, performing right. body right, modification. Right, 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 of course. So yeah. There is no doubt that Mary, and we see this even more as the movie progresses, like she's having a really hard time like navigating herself. Yes, absolutely. So she is taking pictures of him and approaches him with a scalpel, noting that she's been asking herself why his right ear still exists. <laughs> And, you know, she's taunting him, but then out of nowhere, she's hit from behind by a security guard who attempts to lower Grant onto the ground, saying he's going to call the cops. But Mary pops back up and bludgeons the guard to death very violently. With a nightstick. Oof. And I did write, everything's a dick. dick. Okay. This is the first act of violence that hasn't been surgical that we've seen her do, which I think is Mm. also noting some level of, like, what is justifiable versus what isn't justifiable, all of these types of things. Because obviously, like, when we're thinking about Grant, he's a piece of shit. He's getting what's coming to him in a certain degree, especially with the knowledge that he's done this to other women before, Mm -hmm. where this guy was just like a bystander and she indiscriminately kills him. With such brute violence. Pent up violence, Mm -hmm. yeah. We see Grant trying to roll away. I thought that he was just tased and sedated, but I guess that she kills him. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, because in the next scene, we see her sitting with Lance, and Lance seems surprised that Mary is upset over two dead guys. Oh. It's so funny, like... Sometimes I feel like I ask questions about the silliest little things, and other times I feel like I don't ask questions about things that actually matter. Like, I heard two guys, and I was like, whatever! (laughs) But you're right, she must have killed him. Probably because she knew that she was also compromised, Mm -hmm. so she couldn't keep doing what she was doing. Right. Because Lance has to help her, like, clean up the scene and, like, hide it, obviously. Okay. Meanwhile, Billy is elsewhere brutalizing the fuck out of Dr. Walsh, going against what Mary wanted, and beating him senseless. Cut to Ruby. 
we see her, she's in her boudoir of sorts, and she's being approached by a man, presumably her husband from the photo, who is gifting her a necklace. He comes up behind her, clasps the necklace around her neck, and as Ruby turns around in her robe to show him the necklace, she also takes down her robe to show him her body. So that's where we see she no longer has nipples, of course, and her scars have healed in such a way you can't even see them. And then also we can see the modifications to her labia. And her husband looks pissed. He's not pleased with these modifications. Then we cut back to Mary and Lance. They're sitting down at the club. Oh, this is when they have their conversation. We get some interesting dialogue from Lance that informs his character, which I think is neat. He talks about when he was young, somebody broke into his mother's house and she tried to approach the person with an umbrella, but the assailant took the umbrella and beat her with it. And his mother ended up in the hospital for four months after extensive surgeries and taking a long time to heal from that aggression. And he expressed the wish that he knew Mary at that time so that she could do to that guy what she did to Grant. And he says, don't ever devalue what you do, Mary. You make sure they deserve it. And don't waste a minute of your time thinking about them when you're done. And then he gives her a milkshake that he got for her. Which (laughs) I thought the milkshake was very powerful because he had like offered, you know, different types of food or whatever like that. And first of all, there were two milkshakes, so she had an option. Mm. And when he puts it in front of her, she hesitates for a minute and then drinks it and notes that it's really good. And I really liked the mirror of Lance and Grant because Grant is this person who was supposed to teach her and guide Mm -hmm. her and inform her about her practice where this kind of ethos is coming from Lance instead, this guy that you don't think you have anything to learn from. Being that the last time she was handed a drink, it ended very poorly for her. Oh my god, I just got chills. Right? I think it's interesting, the juxtaposition between Lance and Grant, like the way society views physical representation. Like, Grant is this clean-cut, white, cisgender doctor who's very educated. And Lance is this, well, also like white, cisgendered man, presumably, but he's all tatted up. He's got piercings. He's big. He's got long hair. He's a little scruffy in appearance, but he's the one that is the most caring and like trustworthy in this film. And like he earned her trust in order for her to accept a drink from him. So I, I just thought that was really nice. That moment was really nice. So she visits the twins as they are preparing to leave the town that they're in. They're in Seattle and they never fucking make that clear until like five minutes before the movie ends. But anyway, she collects their payment and she boxes up her old apartment and moves into a sweet new pad where we see her taking photos of different body modifications that she's performed with a voiceover of her services on her website. So she is launching, she is becoming this brand in the body modification community. And we see like a nice little collection of people, like people with their tongue splits, people with implants, people with amputations. And these were all real members of the body modification community. This wasn't plastic surgery, which I thought was really nice. While she's finishing up with one client who did something to his dick, I couldn't figure out what the fuck happened there. I don't know what he was trying to do, but he masturbated and irritated the scar. Yeah, I don't know. So she had to like fix him up again. But (laughs) I don't know. But as she dismisses this guy, she gets a call from detective who says that he's here to see her. And she quickly hides the evidence and pulls a pullout door to hide her surgery studio within her apartment. So this is some architectural digest shit going on. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, the detective enters the apartment just in time for Mary to hide everything. And he tells her about Walsh's recent disappearance. And that Grant apparently made tapes of women that he assaulted. Mary asks if he found one of her, but he either lies or hasn't found Mary's tape because he tells her there isn't one. I think he's lying. Well, no, he's telling the truth because in that scene, we see that Billy is watching her tape. (gasps) Oh, so he took it. I think because it was the last one to occur, maybe that was the one that was like preloaded onto Walsh's camera. Okay. We don't know, but Billy is in possession mm-hmm. of the tape. And he, and not to his credit, because he's a fucking dweeb, whatever, but like, <laughs> he's not watching it with like interest. He's horrified. Yeah. The detective goes on to tell Mary that Grant is a monster, which seems to, I guess, give Mary a little bit of comfort that he's not there to get her. Like, by the detective engaging in that conversation with her, it seems like he really is there just to see what he can learn from Mary and to point him in the right direction to locate now Walsh and Grant, because he is convinced the disappearances are connected. 
But Mary, who we saw putting a mysterious powder into a glass of water for the detective, decides to take the glass of water back and not give it to the detective. So it seemed like she was about to get him. But in this conversation, she felt secure enough that she was not under suspicion that she took the water back and let the detective leave. Which is what makes this next scene so confusing to me, because this shows that she has a sense of humanity still. Like, she's not on this downward spiral of sorts. Mary had received a call during this time. So she goes to return the call, which was from her Nana. And she's like, hey, Nana, sorry I missed your call. But it's clear that Nana's not the one who answers the phone. And we later see her sitting in her dark apartment, deleting her Nana's contact. She assumedly passed away. So sad. I still have my grandma's contact in my phone. Yeah, I feel like that's really hard. I feel like you either have to, like, keep it forever or rip the bandaid off and do it right away. Yeah, yeah. But later she enters the club and seeks out Billy, who she finds getting head from another girl. I guess a new girl, and this was her interview. She seems wary of Billy when she eventually gets him alone, asking, do you know anything about Walsh being missing? And eventually he ends up conceding that he had the best intentions going after him. And she asks, did you find a tape of me? And he said, no, but it's not convincing. So Mary kind of knows that Billy has this dirt on her now, even though, again, he doesn't seem to be wanting to weaponize this, but she doesn't like that he's seen her like this. Also, he's making decisions that she did not approve. Right. First of all, watching it and now keeping it, like, did you destroy it? Let her have it? Like, it's not yours. And this is like... This is her experience, but now he's making decisions about these people that were part of it. But we're also getting the sense that she like very much cares about him too. So it's not just anger or frustration because after this scene, she goes after the woman that was giving Billy head. Yeah, which is so confusing to me. Yeah, because I did not think at all that there was any sort of mutual feeling between Mary and Billy until she went after that woman out of what I think is supposed to be jealousy. Well, in that scene where they're sitting in the booth, too, they both witness a bartender pickpocketing, like taking money from the drawer. And she's like, do you want me to do something about that? And he's like, no, like, we're going to scare him, obviously. But I don't need you to perform a fucking surgery. So like, it's showing that she is getting set off very Mm, much more quickly. She's got She's got a little bloodlust. So I'm wondering if she's just trying to find a reason, Mm. any reason. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she ends up going after the woman in the bathroom And I don't know what she ends up doing. Like, she just injects her with something. She literally says, wrong place, wrong time, wrong dick in your mouth. It seems like she's going to go after her with, like, her surgery material. Well, she injects her. Mm -hmm. But then she notices the security camera. And then it looks like then she just escorts her outside. Like, maybe she decides better of it because she knows she's being watched by Billy. And maybe she decides that she doesn't want Billy to see her do this. I don't know. Yeah, because then we're cut to Billy watching camera footage, but not of that assault, but of Mary massaging Billy for the first time. And then we see Mary appear behind him, continuing the sexual massage, wearing what she wore the first night, sitting on his lap and caressing his face with a scalpel before ultimately stabbing him in the gut as he tries to kiss her. But then he wakes up. This was a fake out. But I saw something else, I guess that similar article, how like his daydreams about her go from like her stripping for him to being now scared of her. Like this is supposed to be a mark turn where Billy is starting to fear Mary more than he like, I guess, is into her. I don't know. And that comes up immediately after that. Yeah. Because Mary meets Billy at the bar very shortly after this. And she asks him if he thinks she's crazy. And he says no. And then she says, somebody told her that Billy was afraid of her. Is that true? And he says, no. But knowing about that dream, we know that that's a lie. And I do have to say, I'm not a huge fan of fake out dreams, but I do appreciate the placement of that because it informs his answer here. Like if he said that without that fake out dream, I would have believed him that he wasn't afraid of her. He's been working with her for almost the whole movie. Right. But seeing that dream and hearing that answer, no, we continue to see that Billy isn't being wholly truthful with Mary, no matter what she discovers or what she brings up. Then Billy tells her that Beatrice quit, and he starts talking about taking a trip down from Seattle to LA, and he walks her through an ideal roadmap for the trip. He says driving is half the trip, seeing all the sights. He says he's going to do that, and that she should come, and they can leave tomorrow. And she says she'll think about it. And this is where I wrote, is Billy meant to be the guy that meets a working girl and tries to save her and change how she is after he begins to value her outside of a sexual object? I feel like I don't really believe that he fully values her outside of a sexual object, though. 
it's hard, right? Because we're given these hints that he's obviously attracted to her. But then I see the going after Dr. Walsh. Like, why would he want to get more blood on his hands if he wasn't feeling some sort of protective or some act of retribution on her behalf? Like, that doesn't seem like it benefits him in any way, mm-hmm. but it could make him seem like a knight in shining armor almost. And obviously, I think it's clear that, like, yeah, he wants to fuck her. But, like, I think that throughout we see enough things out of Billy that there is a true affection, especially the L.A. thing. Like, just come away with me. We can have a fresh start. Like, we don't have to do this anymore. And it just kind of reminds me of that trope of a man who falls in love with a woman that strips or something like that. And is like, you don't have to do this anymore. Like, I can pay your way. Like, I can do all these things. And granted, like, some women, some people go into sex work out of financial necessity. And we see Mary doing this. Some people do sex work just as their job, as their income, they feel empowered by it. That's totally great. But like, there's always somebody is seems to be cool with what you're doing in the beginning. And then once it gets to a certain point, they feel like some level of possession. They're like, let me change you. Let me save you. Let me mm-hmm. do all of these things. Let- I don't know. I kind of saw Billy as like that trope in action. A that reminds bit. me of X with the boyfriend, Jenna Ortega's character's boyfriend. Like yeah. he's all cool about like artistic sex until she's like, I want to be in the film. And he's like, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She leaves the bar and arrives home where she gets a call from Beatrice. Beatrice is clearly having a hard time talking. She's crying and apologizing and saying vague things like he forced her to give Mary up. But we can see a camera shot of where B is and she's lying on the floor on the phone in a pool of her own blood. And even though that's very sad, I appreciate how B is talking on like an old vintage phone. Like she looks really cool. I don't know. Like, did you see the phone she has in her hand? No, exactly. She still looks glamorized. Like, yeah. it almost reminded me of like Black Dahlia murder type situation. Mm. Like that, just that imagery. She still looks like a pinup girl and yeah. everything like that. Just horrific. It hurt to see her that way though. Yeah. And just then Mary is jumped from behind by, we are assuming the same person who jumped Beatrice and stabbed her. Then we get a flashback to the scene where Beatrice and Mary were in Ruby's store observing the picture of Ruby's husband. And so we can put together the dots that this is Ruby's disgruntled husband coming to seek revenge on first Beatrice and now Mary for performing the surgery. She fights back, though, and ends up killing him somehow, surprisingly quick. I think she gets the knife from him and, like, gets him to stab himself somehow. Mm, Okay. But they both very much have gut wounds. Yes. And so to tend to her, she drags herself across the floor into her surgery, knocks over a bunch of surgical material so that she can get to it on the floor and starts to suture up her own abdomen wound as we get the classical Ave Maria playing for a final time in the background. And then we cut away from that scene to the police searching Mary's apartment, taking her bird out, right? Taking away things for evidence. Things are moving in slow motion. We see an officer show the detective a scrapbook of Grant's pictured modifications that we saw Mary taking earlier. And then we eventually see Mary lying dead on the ground with a serene smile on her face in a pose that very much resembles Jesus on the cross. And then that's it. The movie's over. Interesting ending. Yeah. Don't know how I feel about it. We'll talk about it. So going into some post-plot stuff... The song Ave Maria is played three times in the movie with increasing levels of skill. Amateur at the very beginning, when Mary's a student, intermediate, and a professional recording during Mary's apotheosis. The increasing complexity of the song mirrors Mary's development as a surgeon. Ave Maria translates to Hail Mary. Wow. And I liked this just from being a horror fan. I have not seen this movie, but I know the cultural relevance of this movie. Mary at numerous points in the film is visually depicted wearing black surgical gloves, a black apron, a white dress shirt, and holding a large syringe. This is meant to visually evoke Asami in the film Audition, which is often cited by film historians as the first torture porn horror film long before that subgenre actually became popular. Now, Audition is a Japanese film which has some insane gore in it. It's known for how brutal it is. And it's about a woman inflicting torture on a man. Certainly something we may cover, but there's a lot of gore in that one. I will say about American Mary, though, is that they don't really show her performing the procedures. Like, I think the most graphic scenes we get are when she's cutting into Ruby's nipples. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, of course, when Grant is hanging on the hooks, which pretty much sucks. But we don't see anything really happen to him. 
Right. Everything is mostly off camera, except maybe them sawing off the arms of the sisters at one point. There's a saw there. But like other Mm -hmm. than that, like, yeah, it's not something we're lingering on too much. Most of what we see is the turkey. Yeah, yeah. Uh And then the last scene, I would say, is probably the most- And herself, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is is the most visceral. We'll kind of talk about that too. Mm. But first, on why the film is called American Mary, despite being very Canadian. Oh, yeah, good point. I mean, it does take place in Seattle, which is in America. But this is from a Medium interview with the Soska sisters. They say, the surgery on Ruby was one where there were many opportunities to get out of, yet Mary decided to do the surgery. Self-preservation and self-promotion selfishly drove her actions into a darker area, which would lead to her death. The story is so much hers that it had to be Mary. Bloody Mary didn't make sense because that's only a fraction of what's going on here. And they go on to say, you can't really achieve ultimate success, particularly in our fields, without going to America. It's the land of dreams and where everything is possible. The story itself wouldn't have worked as African Mary or Australian Mary or even British Mary and certainly not Canadian Mary. I hate to say it, but America is the land obsessed with appearances and the constant pressure to look this way or be more beautiful or thinner or have bigger boobs or a smaller nose. This obsession with an unachievable ideal perfection is the downfall of many and something that we all invest way too much time in, but it's encouraged in America. It also gave us the right setting to compare body modification to cosmetic surgery. One is acceptable, one is not. But what is really the difference between the two aside from one is done to fit in and the other is the pursuit of one's own beauty and individuality? Curiously, that's the form that is villainized. I also think American Mary is really rhythmic, so it sounds really good. Yeah. That's also making me think about the religious illusions we're getting here with Mary's pose at the end. She looks very much like Jesus on the cross as she lies on the floor. Ave Maria is a song that's like very much religious. And I'm sort of thinking now about like these rituals that we see throughout the film in a variety of different ways, like the ritual of surgery, the ritual of getting these surgeries done, sort of like a pilgrimage towards a mode of representation of oneself, but then also these sinister rituals like Grant, the ways in which he assaults people, the steps he takes to do it. We see these repeated decisions and they're all sort of ritualistic, which also is making me think of like her black and white. I know you said it connects to that Japanese film, but I'm also thinking about symbolically black and white, opposite colors, the divine and the sinister, heaven and hell, good and evil. A nun habit. A nun habit. Absolutely. So I feel like there's a lot of like opposites going on, but there's also a lot of connecting those opposites. Like we see goodness and evil And everyone is performing these rituals. And some of them are gray because the way body modification is perceived in the public. But how different is that from cosmetic surgery, which is encouraged in a lot of ways or seen as very glamorous and important, right? The medium of surgery is super interesting because I think if you are thinking back, obviously, in Victorian times or slightly after, like the genesis of surgery was only done out of necessity. It was done as an act of life preservation. You don't do this unless you have to. No one's going around and tooling with your organs unless something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Where like the birth of cosmetic surgery as something that's elective is so interesting. Well, it shows an advancement. Yeah. Like we've gotten good enough as a society that now we can do this kind of serious thing for non-urgent reasons. But then like, is that kind of seen as this blasphemous type of thing where it's like, why would you take something that is so skilled and use it for a non-necessity reason? And I think that's where Mary's idea is in the beginning, because we see her like just cutting open the turkey and suturing it up. And when Beatrice first approaches her, like plastic surgery is never something that she would consider because she's just looking at the practicality of it. She's talking about all of these things that are necessary for the care aspect of it. And it isn't until she does what she's supposed to do, but she's still punished for it, like go to school, try to network, try to do all of these types of things where she's like, well, fuck it. I might as well lean into this deviant side of it because I tried to do the right thing and look where that got me. Like we don't see it as her being proud of being a surgeon. Like she's still using it kind of as this medium to spite school in a way, which is kind of leading into my next thing. So this is on objectification and how American Mary differs from other rape revenge movies. And this comes from an article, The Unsexiness of American Mary by Rosie Howell. 
She goes on to say, the tone and attitude Mary has toward Ruby and Beatrice are important to note. She's judgmental, showing in her facial features and tone of voice that she doesn't understand either woman's desire to get such drastic cosmetic surgeries. In Ruby's case, she doesn't understand why a woman would care so much about not being sexualized. In Beatrice's case, she doesn't understand the appeal of wanting to be sexualized, since Beatrice works at a strip club and does so happily. This could be due to the fact that Mary wants her value as a person to come from her intellect and not her body. Mary cares about smarts and surrounds herself with people who share the same mindset. She can't be sexualized because she doesn't care to be. She isn't the victim of objectification and navigates fine in a man's world. This changes, however, after Mary is invited to a get-together with other surgeons and her professor, Dr. Grant. There, she is leered at by men at the party, drugged, and eventually raped. In some ways, this scene says to the audience, no woman is safe no matter how charming, smart, or passive you are. Every woman is a victim of objectification, including Mary. Unlike other films that contain sexual violence, American Mary uses rape only as a part of Mary's story. Mary, of course traumatized, remains a person for the rest of the film, something uncommon in other rape-revenge movies in the genre. She isn't hell-bent on only getting revenge on Dr. Grant. Instead, Mary chooses to use her talent for a strange type of good, deciding to join the body modification community. Her assault doesn't define her, but stands as a turning point in her life. The point of sexual violence in the film is to add to the themes of objectification and women's existence in a man's world. This isn't the entire plot of the film, and Mary's character isn't only a rape victim. I added as a note, no one is ever only a rape victim. This is more so a comment of how other rape revenge films lack adequate holistic characterization of victims of violence beyond their traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Moving on. The revenge Mary does eventually carry out is satisfying because it's what every victim of similar crimes can only dream of doing, but it also helps Mary move forward. Dr. Grant is her third patient, having been kidnapped and held hostage in Mary's apartment. There, she performs 14 hours of surgery on him, practicing different popular body modifications on him. As she preps for the surgery, the symbolism of her injecting him with a long needle of numbing drugs is impossible to miss. In Laura Mulvey's famous essay, Visual Pleasure in Narrative Cinema, she discusses the idea of scopophilia and its relation to how an audience views films and how men view women. A woman's lack of penis equates castration, thus leading men to see women as weaker and beneath them. When Mary injects Dr. Grant with a needle, she is taking back the power she once had, one scalpel slice at a time. She is using her metaphorical penis to get revenge. Yeah, I mean, Mary's turn toward body modification, even in this extreme, like illegal and torturous way with Dr. Grant is very much rooted in her own bodily autonomy, like getting that back. And I also think because she surrounded herself with all of that intellect, because she didn't feel like she was being sexualized, because she was putting her worth on these intellectual pursuits, like conversations and knowledge and learning in school and all that. I think she learned as a woman, it's impossible to escape that in a patriarchy. And then she found solace in the body modification world because she learned how effective it can be to be in charge of your own body and make those decisions. But of course, she was taking that out on Dr. Grant, which was very satisfying to see. It was. And it just kind of makes the ending unsatisfying being like the man that kills her is a fucking nobody character. And he's faceless. Like, he's this guy who is Ruby's husband, who we are never introduced to outside of the interaction that he has with Ruby. I'm just trying to fight with what he represents. Maybe he just represents general male anger. Like, he was so angry because his wife's body was desexualized. Or that somebody else had an influence on his wife's body apart from himself. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was, like, an ownership thing. Or that his wife made a decision without his consent about her own body. I feel like in a lot of ways, his character kind of represents how like men feel for some reason, like they have a right (laughs) to women's bodies. But maybe the fact that he is a non-character is meant to show that his actions are meant to be some kind of general representation as opposed to just a singular guy in this singular story like patriarchal power is still effective in steadying status quo because like the anger being aimed at mary seems to be misplaced because granted she's the one who did it yeah she's the one with the power to do it but then i'm like did he kill ruby like we never see ruby again we do never see ruby again like he beat the shit out of beatrice only because he wanted to know who did it and because she financed it i'm kind of wondering if he would ever kill his wife I could see how it was purposely left ambiguous. 
Maybe he did as a part of the spree. Maybe he didn't because his anger was not with her as much as it was with Mary, who actually, quote unquote, modified or touched her body. It just kind of sits awkward with me that the principal women that we see making decisions on behalf of themselves with no man input all end punished, except for the twins. Like, we never really see the twins. We don't even really see the results of their surgery. We just see that it went well and that they leave. But, like, we don't see the switched arms. We don't see the devil horns outside of them physically doing it. Maybe the twins subvert that because they have each other. Right. We see Mary be judgmental of Beatrice and Ruby. There's not really any other woman in the movie who is with Mary. Like, there's no other woman she can rely on besides her Nana, but her Nana is far away. But the twins... There is like a physical partner there. So maybe that's showing like the power of woman to woman connection. And like they're able to subvert the damage of the male gaze because they have one another and they can rely on one another. And they even say that like in their very synchronized dialogue and movements, they talk about strengthening themselves and each other. So maybe Mary ultimately wasn't able to survive because through the end of the movie, we're doing it by themselves. I think I just get confused at the director's intent because it's clear that they wanted to show this body modification community as this strong collective and something that is justifiable. And they're kind of using Mary's judgment as the litmus test that's kind of pushing Mary's own needle of looking at it as something with disgust and whatever. But does she only see it as valuable because it's profitable for her? Mm. Like, does she still kind of hold those judgments? And Mary's death is supposed to be like the death of that exploitative nature of it. Because to me, if Mary is somebody that we see changed or is somebody that we see empowered, like this article is suggesting, then why kill her, first of all? Or like, why let her die? Why let her skill not be enough to let her live? And why have a man that has had no agency over her up until this point be the thing that undoes her? And it could be meaningfully random, but it just doesn't seem like it has anything, especially with violence toward Beatrice and Ruby along the way. Like, it just doesn't seem like it is giving agency to those women by the Mm -hmm. time this movie ends. So I don't know. And maybe it is random and maybe it is trying to show how there's absurdity in it all Mm. and that people will just be violent toward people who encourage self-individuality and self-expression and it's going to continue to live in this taboo space where people just don't understand or just going to react out of disgust and anger before they question the intentions and acceptance because we see that needle being pushed with Mary's outlook toward Beatrice and Ruby eventually not to a meaningful degree because I think she still is annoyed with Beatrice and she's confused with Ruby but still I don't know. It's interesting. I didn't dislike the movie. I agree. I think all of those points you made are really good. And I feel like I especially loved our conversation about this movie because there are so many gray areas. But yes, despite all of the questions, I agree with you. I also really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was different in a lot of ways. And I thought Mary's character was complex and tricky. Maybe part of that came from the questions that were left at the end. I don't know. Do you think there was a sequel made to this? So while I don't think there was a sequel to this, it looks like there might be a TV series in development as of 2022. Okay, see that, like, I think it would be really cool for this storyline to be returned to and maybe to be contextualized a little bit further to fill in some of those gray spaces. But there's so much here I think that could be played with. And I think the movie was great. And I'm really glad we covered it. Yeah, it draws a lot of parallels to Dexter. So I could see that doing well. I'm glad we covered it too. And I think she'll do well in March Madness. I think so too. And as you know, March Madness, Final Girls is coming out next week. So stay tuned for that. Also, follow us on Instagram if you want to be in touch with other things we're up to in the future. Shay and I love to plan in advance, but sometimes we have polls, we ask questions, we make other posts if things come up suddenly, and we would love for you to be a part of that news. You can also contact us via email at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.